Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White, and today myself and Simon were joined in studio by Stefan Borson, financial fair play expert and former advisor to the likes of Manchester City as we analysed Everton's reduced points deduction. Plus, Brendan Rodgers has been branded a dinosaur for calling journalist Jane Lewis a good girl during a post-match interview. We speak to Rebecca Chapman on behalf of the Scottish Feminist Network who are calling for an apology. This is our Spoken with White and Jordan. Stefan Borson, a financial football financial expert, has joined us here. Simon, many people getting in touch saying, I'm kind of beginning to get to grips with this. Simon has uh, explained the, the ramifications of why 10 points uh, that Everton were hit with have been reduced to six, and I'm kind of getting to grips with this. It's not easy, Stefan. We're, we're kind of getting there. So Stefan is going to help us all uh, in pursuit of uh, reason and truth in all of this. It was back in November. Simon, you and I were on on a Friday morning, and the news came through. Everton have been docked 10 points for breaking profit and sustainability rules. We were like, what? 10 points? And this was the reaction then of the Everton interim CEO, Colin Chong. Myself and everybody at the club are shocked and disappointed by the ruling of the Premier League Commission. We believe the sanction is disproportionate and wholly unjust. The club's view is that the harshness and severity of this punishment are neither a fair nor a reasonable reflection of the evidence that was submitted to the Commission. For that reason, the club intends to appeal the outcome before the Premier League Appeals Board. This is a sporting sanction that directly impacts supporters. The club and our players and staff and our fans will stick together in the face of what the club believes to be an unprecedented and disproportionate sanction. As we enter the next phase of this legal process, there is no further comment we can or will make but rest assured, we will be standing up for Evertonians and our great club. So that was then, and uh, here we are now. The 10 points has been reduced to six. Stefan, good morning. Listening to, to Chong then, um, you begin to understand why Everton feel somewhat vindicated this morning. Well, to an extent. I mean, a, a lot of what Chong just said <laughs> went out the window quite quickly in the, in the actual appeal. Uh, None of the arguments about sporting advantage uh, or about the findings of evidence were really made at the appeal. Uh, And they they rightfully concentrated, uh, because they had the best case around, they concentrated on 
kind of legal nuances to get them partway down the line in terms of getting something back. Really, all of the stuff that we heard from people like Andy Burnham, uh, Mark Carney, uh, and this, you know, that, that sort of collection of people, none of those arguments were made. I mean, so all of this stuff about masters and about the, the Premier League san- uh, sanction policy um, and uh, the, the gen- general unfairness or lack of independence of the panel, none of that was made. Right. And it was never going to be made because Everton accepted the constitution of the original commission. So what actually happened was that there was, as we as we discussed, actually, previously, there was uh, they had the best case going after the areas of mitigation and aggravating uh, factors uh, such that they got themselves where they needed to get to in being able to kind of unpeel the 10 points because Again, we all talked about it. Ten points was always excessive. We always knew it was harsh. Their, Everton's problem was not the stuff that Chong spoke about. Right. It was, in terms of the fans and sporting advantage, it was actually, how do we, given that all of the facts are settled, how do we unpick it? That was always right. that was always Everton's problem. Yeah, but Stefan, if, if if the 10 points was originally excessive, why were the Premier League pushing for 12? Well, the, uh, at, uh, the, uh, the, the big takeaway, actually, from the appeal is that the Premier League come out of it very, very clean. Uh, and that'll shock people because already it's been spun in a way, um, particularly in the national press, that this is in some way a... Uh, a sort of shot across the bowels of, of Richard Masters in the Premier League. It isn't. It, it, it's the actual opposite. The Premier League were not criticised at all within the appeal judgment. Uh, the decision makes certain uh, comments and disagreements with the independent uh, commission, but it does not criticise the Premier League. It does not criticise uh, Masters, uh, and it does not criticise them applying and submitting that the penalty should be 12 points or 10 points. In fact, it says it it was absolutely their right to do so and that Richard Masters' uh, sort of submission of that policy, the the famous policy that everybody was so annoyed about, should have some respect, is what the appeal said. So uh, don't believe that this is in some way an attack on the Premier League. It isn't. It isn't. Uh, Funnily enough, I was at the, the Cup final on Sunday and I took the opportunity to approach Richard Masters and I said to him, when are we going to hear about the result of this appeal? He said, well, and virtually the message from Richard was, well, you'll hear like everybody else will hear when, when, when the, the, the deduction, if, the, if there is a deduction, when it's announced, when the, the result of that appeal is announced. And that was it. And mm. off Richard went. Um, Evertonians, many of them are saying it's taking forever. And I was pushing Simon in that. And Simon, quite right, was pushing back at me saying, we will hear when we hear. But is this procedure, is this process flawed, Stefan? There's no easy answer to this because we have a continuing season when, it, when we're trying to deal with, uh, with, with regulation. And unless you can find a way to effectively have the, uh, the charge, the hearing, the uh, decision, the appeal, the appeal decision, all within a closed season, which of course is not going to happen, there's no way around this. And in fact, if anybody's to blame for the timetables that are in place, it's the clubs themselves. They voted for it. Right. 
The two grounds um, that Everton got some daylight on, they found the commission was wrong to punish Everton for being less than frank over what they told the Premier League about its stadium debt. They also claimed the commission were wrong in not taking into account available benchmark precedents uh, for financial breaches, which we've seen in the EFL, like Sheffield Wednesday back in, in, in 2020. You think that's preposterous, Simon, that second part, don't you? I don't think it's preposterous in terms of the, the, the ability to alight upon that decision-making process, because that's where the case he would have directed his angles of attack. I do think it's rather ridiculous that the Premier League doesn't have a very clear view itself of what it needs to do, or more to the point, because it's not the Premier League, the Premier League are prosecuting on behalf of the other 19 clubs. It's the independent commission that doesn't have a clear vision of what other people are doing. There is a difference. There are different rules. There's different transfer rules in the Championship than there is, and, and in the EFL than there is in the Premier League. So there is a distinction. But when you're looking at the sick man of English football, which is the EFL, and looking to them for some sort of inspiration, it doesn't tell you much, very much, or give you much confidence about the people that are doing these things. So that's why I say preposterous. Not the ability to be able to do that, but the fact that you need to do it in the first place, and it's cited as a precedent that you couldn't have seen for yourself. It makes it look rather ridiculous. You go with that, Stefan? Yeah, I think I think Simon makes um, a couple of good points there. I mean, I, look, I think we have to be realistic that the Independent Commission was fully aware of the FL's sanction policy. And probably its only error was that it didn't put more detail within its original uh, decision. Because I suspect that actually, in its deliberations, it did consider of course. that tariff and looked at the possibility of following, broadly, following uh, the EFL. And we know that there was a lot of discussion at it at the original Independent Commission because there are extracts from Richard Masters' uh, witness statement that talk about the differences between the Premier League system and the EFL system. So I think we should just be mindful that, that it, it, it allowed the appeal board to get where they wanted to get, which is to reduce it to something that everybody felt was fairer. But in reality, I suspect the commission did take into account the EFL. Now, the idea that we would effectively outsource the Premier League sanction policy to the EFL, despite the Premier League saying we don't want a sanction policy, is, as Simon suggests, ridiculous. So I think... Uh, my view would be that there has been an overemphasis in the appeal on the EFL sanction structure, understandably so, mm. but I think it's a bit over the top. But they did say, in fairness to them, they've only taken it as one of a number of factors. So there, there are multiple factors that they took into account, but clearly the EFL was the most structured one. And importantly, yeah. the EFL has been the one that's had loads of examples so it's a well-trodden path. And, and, and they very clearly said, the Premier League, let's be clear, no other club has failed the 105. Only one other club is accused of failing the 105. We know who that is on the, the pending case. And most clubs, and this is what it says in the appeal decision, most clubs don't even breach the 15. Right. The, the lower limit. Right. So... They're making so they're the, falling on the right side of it. Yeah, they're making the point that, mm. that let's just mm. get one thing straight. Yeah. Most Premier League clubs have complied with PSR, even to the point where they don't breach the lower limit, the 15 million. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station 
Talk Sport. We make no apology for it. It's fairly heavy-duty conversation at the moment in the world of football finance, of course. And uh, we are looking at the 10-point deduction, which Everton were hit with back in November, now being reduced to six points. Everton claimed to be vindicated this morning after a 10-point deduction for breaking spending rules was reduced to six and are confident of uh, a significantly reduced punishment for a second breach. Uh, financial expert in the world of football, Stefan Borson, is alongside Simon and myself as we look look at this and we'll look ahead to what might be further down the line What uh, for, for Everton, for Nottingham Forest for Chelsea, for Manchester City um, do you think various observers have been wrong have got it wrong this morning Stefan, I, I, I'm, I'm going to look at one, a victory for fans and a wake up call for the league, Henry Winters comment in the Times and Henry finishes with, what this all shows is that experts get things wrong that the power of supporter protest can highlight injustices and that high profile fans such as Andy Burnham and Mark Carney of Everton and Steve Rotherham of Liverpool can embarrass the Premier League with measured arguments where do you stand on that? Well, I stand where where uh, uh, Rabinovich, Lawrence Rabinovich, the the KC of Everton stood. He, all of it was largely ignored. I mean, the the Everton uh, fan uh, group that put in their submissions, I think, did have an impact um, to just just emotionally to to the appeal board. So I think they did a good job. Uh, they talked about the history of the club. They talked about the importance of the fans. Yeah. Um, they talked about the importance of transparency in the process. So all of those things, I think we would all agree, uh, are the right things that the panel uh, and the appeal should be aware of and should be thinking about. However, most of the arguments that were made, most of the actual underlying arguments about fairness, about independence of the panel, about um, the, the kind of the scale of the sanction and the punishment of the fans... Um, were all rejected because really what what they focused on was that there is a sporting advantage to breaching PSR and that advantage is to the prejudice of other fans. And Mm -hmm. whilst it's all very interesting that the Everton fans were able to make very detailed submissions, it, it made the point, the appeal made the point that they did not hear from fans of other clubs who may have been affected by their overspending. And we know that Everton survived by one place. So, uh, you know, we know yeah. that, that, it, it, so that they had an advantage. In, in so do Andy Burnham and Mark Carney and Steve Rotherham deserve any praise here? Well, I don't think that... Well, Has Winter got it wrong? They, well, I, I think Henry Winter's got, got his piece completely wrong. Um, and I, I wonder whether he's actually read the, the appeal decision before writing the piece. Um, they They did a good job in terms of turning up the temperature for the appeal board such that they went in there minded to reduce the 10 points to something a bit lower. Because we've all, as I said before, we've all been talking about it for months, that it's a bit too high, 10 points. Everton, the starting point, when we heard from Chong earlier, Everton's starting point was the whole thing should be thrown out. Loads of, you know, Andy Burnham has been going on. And that's the case of us. I mean, Stefan is making a very polite way of suggesting that Steve Rotherham, Mark Carney, Andy Burnham and Henry Winter have no idea what they're talking about and pointing their guns at the Premier League is a ridiculous observation because the Premier League are upholding the rights of the other 19 clubs. It's the independent commission. It's sabre-rattling from feeble-minded people that don't understand the principles of what they're talking about and it gets them currency. And so that's the reasons why people like Andy Burnham didn't want to come on shows like this and debate it because they can't because they're debating it from a position of a lack of understanding. 
So with that We're in mind, to come on this and, Henry's, and, Henry's, and Henry's article is another example of that. And Stefan's being very diplomatic and skilled mm. orally at suggesting that that's the principle of not having read a, a, a and, and they won't read the the the, uh, the summation or the appeal because it won't concur with their worldview. So their worldview is that somehow or another, and the great point that Stefan just made is, if they were allowed to make some submissions from other football clubs, because of course those other football clubs are not represented in this appeal, about the tragic effects that it's had upon their club as a result of Everton being able to get some sporting advantage, yeah. that might have carried some weight as well. Mm. But they weren't. Uh, Simon, as you speak, Stefan, as you speak, uh, an enormous number of messages coming in and Stefan people are getting to grips with this listening to you in exchange with Simon here this morning the big question I'm seeing coming through from Evertonians you don't need to be Einstein to predict this what do we expect Stefan what do you expect from the second charge for Everton in terms of the likelihood of a further points deduction what well, you want a straight answer uh so look, this this thing about double jeopardy is wrong. It's not double jeopardy. There's there's a question of natural justice in taking a three year period of which you've been punished for two already, and the the independent commission, the second independent commission, will have no difficulty whatsoever understanding what's fair in that context and understanding that they shouldn't be punished twice for the same period. That said, it will clearly see another breach as being. Uh, a serious matter because one of the things that you look at in in the assessment of the PSRs is the trend and clearly the trend has gone against them in breaching because if the trend had been continuing to be improving they wouldn't have breached so they've had pretty big losses for 22-23 they haven't released their accounts yet they are due to be released before the end of March publicly but we know that they were signed off in November or December. Uh, and like many clubs, they've held on to them. I mean, Arsenal today released their results. They were signed off in November, but only released today to the public. Um, so we don't know what the number is for Everton yet. But I, but I can assure you that the loss for 22-23 was very big. And therefore, they will still suffer, uh, I think, uh, a, a serious punishment. Now, but of course... Uh, well, I would think you can oh, work on the basis. Six? You're no, no, another no. Ten. I think you can work on the basis that the starting point will probably be another six, and then what you will do is you'll discount for the two period, two two years that they've already had a penalty for, and it gets you back to two, maybe maybe three, maybe one. But I, I still suspect they'll get an additional points uh, deduction or point deduction. Uh, it's just that it will be assessed in the overall context. Um, it's just that. Most of their arguments that they've run are unlikely to succeed in an independent commission and a further appeal board because they've now been run. So, you know, the authority uh, that the independent commission, the authorities that the independent commission will be considering uh, are kind of uh, there in front of you within the appeal decision. Mm. And so, it's, you know, I would think it's a relatively straightforward decision now for the independent commission on Everton too. We'll speak more the other side of 11 o'clock, but there's there's Tom, there, there's Andy, big Forest fans. What now for Nottingham Forest? I'm listening to Stefan Borson, I'm listening to Simon. What about Forest? Good luck to Everton, but what can we expect? I think it's uh, a similar kind of equation on, on Forest. Um, I, I would be slightly concerned if I was a Forest fan about the aggravating factors because it looks like they spent recklessly and that will be something that will put them further up the scale of punishment. 
Putting them further down the scale, though, is the fact that they've actually only breached one year of, of, of Premier League financial fair play. And if you go back, so the way that it works when a team's been promoted is you have an allowance from the EFL for two of the years and you have the Premier League allowance for one of the years. So in essence, they I think the 61 million from memory was the number rather than the 105 that Everton breached. 61 was their target. And in the two stub years where they were in the EFL, they were there or thereabouts, so very close to breaching, but, but, but only just over the edges. So they may well get away with the first two years of the period, partly because they didn't breach by very much, and secondly, because the Premier League Independent Commission isn't actually going to know how to deal with it because it's not actually in their remit. So I would think you're probably looking for Forrest at something like one to three points, but possibly... Probably not one, actually. Probably two to three, plus the potential of some aggravating factor around the recklessness of the spending, minus the potential of what the uh, Appeal Commission described as the golden mitigation, which Sheffield Wednesday had when they sold the stadium, which Nottingham Forest are hinting uh, will be Brennan, uh, Brennan Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's very unlikely that the paperwork around Johnson matches the tone of their mitigating appeal. So I, I suspect they will not get mitigation for Johnson and therefore it will be how big an aggravating factor is the recklessness and how do they deal with this two-year stub period where they were in the EFL. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Let me throw another name of another club into the mix here. Uh, I spoke to Messrs. Bowley and Igbali at the weekend at Wembley. Not about this, I hasten to add. Reports this morning that Chelsea's Premier League rivals believe the club must make major sales by the 30th of June, Stefan, to avoid breaching profit and sustainability. With £100 million worth of sales needed. Is that right? I mean, club sources refute that figure mm. and stress any early sales would be done with making signings in mind rather than avoiding PRS matters. But is, is that accurate? 
Well, it sounds like they watched our deadline day uh, discussion on this. Because when you and I were on. We specifically talked about the need for it to be 100 million, and I only use that number anyway because it was a round number. You stand the, by it. Well, the reality is it's higher than 100 million. And by the way, in that piece that you're talking about, it, it, it misunderstands what 100 million is. It's not 100 million gross. It's not saying, oh, just somehow sell Mudrick for 50 and everything's okay. It's talking about profit. We're talking about selling £100 million of profit under the way in which uh, the Premier League rules work and on PSR. And that means, as we all know, either selling your best young players or selling players that somehow have got an amortised value, a net book value, which is lower than the sale price. What it doesn't mean is that you can go out and sell Lukaku for £38 million and think that you've done a good deal. You've made nothing selling Lukaku for £38 million, nothing at all. Because even he, he is probably impaired on the balance sheet, but even if he is, 38 million is not going to make you a profit on Lukaku. And that's even if you could sell him before 30th of June, and I suspect they can't. So you need so pure profit here. You need Chelsea profit. need pure profit. Need profit. So, so does that mean we're in the, the, the grounds of them selling like Conor Gallagher well, to achieve pure yeah. profit? Well, look, let's be fair to them. First of all, they deny that, the, that they need to sell anybody at all, actually. Uh, so they they say that they're completely in line uh, with financial uh, with PSR for for the current season, and they don't need to sell anybody at all. Um, I say, uh, looking at the numbers, and anybody can do the numbers. It's not that complicated to see that they're going to have a severe problem, because in a number of these pieces, it it also says that they only just managed to pass twenty two twenty three. Well, if they only just managed to pass 22-23, it tells you that they were at minus 105 for that three-year rolling period. So when you drop off that third year back and then you start to assess, you know that you've got two years of heavy loss. And we know for certain that this year, given that they've got no European football whatsoever, we know for certain that they've made a loss. So I don't see how they argue they don't need to sell anybody, but let's say... For, for somehow they, they argue that the sales of Mason Mount, of Hall to Newcastle, of Livermento's uh, 12 million quid sell-on fee, may, maybe they say that that's got them where they need to get to. I, I very much doubt it, and I think they have a very big deficit to find. I think they've now left it extremely late to, to find uh, the profit, um, and you've got complexity with that, not least the fact that uh, Gallagher is going to be out of contract in a year's time, by the time you get to June, uh, you've got the Euros. Um, and, of course, as it says in that piece, every other club, and as we discussed actually on Transfer Deadline Day, the Premier League teams that are probably the likely buyers for these players, they're not stupid. You know, we know the likely buyer for Gallagher is Daniel Levy and Spurs, and we know his approach is going to be to squeeze as hard as possible. And so if, if Chelsea want to get a player out the door by 30th of June, other teams are going to take advantage of it. And I, that's why I say I think it is unlikely that they, if they do need to sell £100 million of players to make £100 million of profit, I think it is unlikely they'll be able to do it. But let's see. In and fairness, if, they are, if, they are, if it is unlikely that they can do it, what does that mean? Well, it means they're, they're going to push profits. It, it means, it means, and here we go again. Here we go points, again. It will be points deduction but, again, and they'll appeal and try well, and get yeah. the points reduced. But uh, well, well, they might try. But let's be let's be uh, clear on this. The authorities are now clearer in terms of how you work out what the penalty might be. 
They're not binding, but they're, they're likely to be followed next time around. We also know that in Chelsea's case, there is definitely going to be issues around uh, aggravating from the recklessness of the spending. And we also know that the pressure that's going to be ramped up by all the major clubs in the country is going to be enormous, such that any independent commission it will do its best to be independent, but it is going to be faced with a lot of people saying it has to be more serious than, than Everton. And I think the breach is going to be much bigger than 20 million anyway. Do you think Chelsea will have any case to put forward on the pivoting of the Premier League to change the depreciation terminology uh, term? Because I, I felt the Chelsea, whatever contract they want, if the rules are you depreciate over the contract period and they want to put players on eight, nine year contracts, more for them, but Correct. that's their gift. And all of a sudden in the middle of that, because of a lobby, the Premier League changed their position on that and mm. said you can't have players for longer than a five year contract. That will be an argument that Chelsea will run, won't it? Uh, well, it won't help them because I'm talking about the assessment of 23-24 being on the basis of their policy, so seven, eight years. If it was done on five years... Didn't they change it 18 months ago? Didn't they no, change it in they, January they, of They changed year? it for transfers after the date. So, in essence, Chelsea have made very few signings, if any, after the date. So Chelsea will still I have the they, benefit. I thought, changed, I thought they changed it in January 23 and Chelsea has spent another three or 400 million quid in the, no. in the, in the August window. No. It, it boils down to this, Stefan. By June 30, they've got to get rid of a sizable number of players to bring in more than 100 million quid. Or else... Of profit. Of profit. Is that achievable? Well, so, again... You can you, sell. you can form a list. So you could say, well, we'll sell Gallagher for 50. You know, just in theory, we'll sell right. Gallagher for 50. Right. Uh, we'll sell um, Matson for the, for his release fee at 35. We'll sell uh, Brozier mm. to Fulham for 40, whatever his release fee is. And then, yeah, you, you're broadly there. Yeah. You know, those players are pure profit. You are broadly there. But does anybody really believe that those three players are going for those fees before 30th of January. I would suggest, and it suggests in the article, that the whole of the football world is fully aware of this situation and will not bail Chelsea out to that extent. But we'll see. The, the, the period is not finished. So let's be fair to Chelsea. At the moment, they may well pass PSR for 23-24. Uh, it, is, it is sort of possible, I think, and I've always said... I think it is highly unlikely, but it is possible. Danger. Flammable exchanges ahead. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Tomorrow night, Celtic at home to Dundee. Odds on favourites to win that one. Rangers, maybe with all due respect to Dundee, the slightly trickier prospect of going down to Rugby Park to take on Kilmarnock. So one of the old firm are going to end up winners. The question is, which one? At the weekend, it looked like Celtic were going to end up drawing their game at Fir Park Motherwell. They didn't. They won it in the dying moments. They got a couple of goals that made it 3-1 and Celtic left as winners. But thereafter, there was a bit of uh, toing and froing between Celtic boss Brendan Rodgers and a female interviewer up in Scotland, Jane Lewis. I know Jane from uh, time of old. And this was that back and forth. Have a listen. Like I say, there's a story being written about this group. Uh, so, uh, but we will write our own story. 
can you give no. us a bit more? You can't give no, us. You don't want no. to give us a bit more insight no. into that and what you mean no. by that. No? no, no, you know exactly what I mean. I'm not. I'm. Not, I'm actually not sure. I do exactly know, know okay. what you mean. Okay. Can you can you no. tell us? People might be interested to know. To, to, no, no. But but you but you're the one that's bringing that yes, up. Absolutely. So so, I, yeah. so can you not give okay. us some more on it? Done. Good girl. Done. Well done. Cheers. <laughs> there you go. He's done. Good girl. <laughs> Good girl. <laughs> oh gee. Wow. And it was the end of that. Good girl. Uh, and Jane acknowledged the good girl comment that has sparked something of a debate. Um, the Scottish Feminist Network are calling for Brendan to apologise for the, quote, sexist comment made following that win at Motherwell. Uh, the group says that Rogers' throwaway comment risked encouraging other football fans to behave in a similar way, demeaning women that they work with or that they engage with. Rebecca Chapman uh, is with the Scottish Feminist Network and she is with us now, live on Talk Sport, live on YouTube and Facebook. Rebecca, we can see you as well as hear you. Thank you for joining us. Um, what is the problem with this? What is your point in this then, Rebecca? Do you want to expand on it? Certainly, it's disappointing, isn't it? I mean, given the what we know of the history of women's sport, where it's only now in the 2020s where women's sporting achievements are really getting the media attention they deserve, given the casual offhand sexism that women experience in several working environments, not just sporting environments too, it's just really gotten to see a man speaking to a woman like this at the side of a football pitch. It feels like we're going back in time. What you, you you felt the comment demeaned the interviewer? That's right. Um, I think that if he didn't want to engage in that interview, I I don't take issue with the fact that he was getting a bit fed up and clearly didn't want to continue the conversation. But did he have to end that interview by demeaning the woman? He could have just said thank you. That's the end and walked away. But good girl, good girl, really. Is is that the right way to speak to a female professional? Jane, can I? Uh, sorry, Rebecca, can I ask you? Have you spoken to Jane? No, no, I haven't. Has Jane complained about it? To my knowledge, no. But so, what, so why is, are you coming on radio being offended about someone else then? Well, it's not. It's not about um, Jane. It's about how this. This is on national radio, national TV. There are other women and girls watching this and getting a feel for how they can expect to be okay. treated. Okay, so, so are, are, you fam are you familiar, Rebecca, with how Brendan Rogers addresses lots of journalists, say like the journalist Conor McNamara in Ireland, where he refers to them as good lads and uses that expression quite regularly in conjunction with an interviewer? There's a difference. It depends on the, de the rapport between him and the interviewer, right? In that but you context... Don't, you don't know the rapport between him and Jane. You're making an assessment on that. Yeah, I can only assess what I'm watching. And from what I see, it's quite evident that he's not saying that's not an informal, friendly way he's ending that interview. He's being really quite, quite rude. And but it's evident, but it's evident to, if, if he's offhand, if he's guilty of being condescending, that's one thing. But if he operates this way with journalists, because we had this debate yesterday with the former Celta manager, Martin O'Neill, and it ended up disintegrating to an argue about, argument about journalism both myself and Martin, me as a former football club owner dealing with journalists, and Martin as a former football club manager, pushing back. And neither one of us discussed the sex of this journalist. We discussed the nature of their behaviour and the questions that they were answering, asking. So it didn't get into that territory. But if you're talking about a person that behaves this way and dismisses journalists um, with good lad or good girl in this instance, then aren't you in the territory of the space that you want to be, which is equality? You can't have it both ways. Lad has different connotations, doesn't it? Why? Um, 
Well, it's more, it's a bit more friendly, isn't it? Like in oh, Scotland, really? It's quite demeaning. Her, if someone called me lad, a lad, I wouldn't appreciate lad. it. Well, then I'd, I'd say that if male journalists run the receiving end of that, men are more than welcome to say, hang on, we don't like this term either. I think, I think that's quite fair. Yeah, but you're the one that's making the four-act play out of it. And we're talking about the representation of women in sport, and we're talking about the value of them, and we're looking across the pantheon of broadcasters, and we're seeing wonderful performances from Kelly Cates or Alex Scott or Laura Woods or Rashman Chowdhury or Bianca Westwood being represented and treated not based upon their sex but based upon their competency. And what you're suggesting is that Brendan Rogers, Rogers is responsible for your interpretation of what he said rather than his intention. I don't think, um, I, th I think there's more than interpretation, kind of my personal interpretation infers that, um, that I'm, I'm looking for fault here. And far from it, I think it's really quite evident in that exchange that he's being demeaning. No, but, if, yeah, but, but, but actually, Rebecca, can I, can I just pick you up on that? Do you think the good girl comment is, is sexist or do you think it's just clumsy language? I thought it is sexist. Oh, it like there's different. Um, it depends on who you're engaging with, right? Like you might have a laugh with your friends and use the term "good girl," right? Um, or "good lad," "good boy" as a joke, right? When you when it's the appropriate kind of person to say that too. However, in a work environment, if someone called me a good girl. Absolutely, but that, but again, again, Rebecca, I go back to the point, and I'm looking at some of the colloquialisms and terms of endearment. And Eamon Holmes, the journalist, talks about in Northern Ireland the use of terminologies like "good girl" and "good lad" are used repeatedly, not just in the not just in the construct of friendship, but in the constructs of dynamics of relationships. And you've got different parts of the country where people call one another "ducky." Are we going to start talking about animal rights next? So um, my grandfather is Irish um, and I'm quite familiar with Irish banter and colloquialisms. I've never heard any of my Irish relatives use the term good girl. But Eamon Holmes has. But Eamon Holmes yeah. has. So, That's Eamon Holmes though. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not disputing I, I noticed there the Scottish Feminist Network, um, Rebecca is saying, regards this exchange, um, that you thought it was depressing in 2024. We thought dinosaurs were extinct. That That is a bit strong, is it not, Rebecca? I, I think it's a perfectly acceptable figure of speech to use. It's old-fashioned. It's definitely old-fashioned to speak to a woman like that at work. Sadly, I've had it happen to me. Um, that's why we're talking about it. I several women have had it happen to them in a professional context. And so calling him a dinosaur, I think that's a suitable metaphor to use. What what language specifically was used in your case? Oh, um, cheer up, lass, smile. Um, and unfortunately coming from... Also, there I've been in circumstances where oh, I'm, a man training a team of employees saw fit to make jokes about masturbating because it was mostly men in the room, etc. And you're sitting there as a woman going, oh, my goodness. Whilst everyone's sitting around you guffawing, um, those, those are the kind of experiences I've but, had. Personally. But Rebecca, with respect, you're projecting your experiences onto a, a situation where I would, if we're talking about the manner in which this manager operates and the manner in which he operates with a journalist, you made it about a woman. The fact, the fact that it's a woman interviewing him should be incidental. It should be whether she's a capable journalist or not. And if he uses the terminology, I personally think if someone addresses me as a good lad, I think that's diminishing and demeaning. If he, if he introduces the conversation good girl, I think it's the same thing. I think it's patronising. But I find it difficult to make the leap that it's sexist, not because I want to and not because I'm a man, not because I can't relate to it because mm. I have a daughter, but because I think that there are people like you out there that choose to be offended on behalf of other people and create issues where there are none. 
I don't think it's projecting. I don't. I, I do not think I'm the only person who's found fault in the way that he addressed her. Yeah, people um, like yourself with the same men, view. Yeah. There, there are lots of men and women who share this opinion. There's a few that disagree too. Um, I think that this stands out. Fortunately, there been it stands out because so many people have gone, oh, hold on a minute. Um, that's a bit awkward. I think in terms of when you talk about being offended, I don't think anyone's got the right to not be offended. I very strongly believe that. Um, but I do but think... But offence is taken, that, not given, isn't it? You've taken offence in it. It's not given. And the bottom line is, is the, there's the journalist that has had the altercation and the issue, you haven't even spoken to, and you don't know whether she's upset, and she hasn't complained. But at the same so time, you, do you think the comment from Brendan to Jane was patronising? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, I do. Of course it's patronising. There's a difference between patronising and sexism. He, if he's patronising to male journalists, then yeah. this lady's got what she wants, which is equality. Well, Rebecca, Brendan Rogers is due to speak to the media in the next hour. Am I right in thinking that, that your movement, the, the Scottish uh, Feminist Network, that you want an apology or you would like to hear in an ideal world an apology from Brendan for what was said? Absolutely, yeah. And um, we gladly accept that. Also, if there is a misunderstanding that's happened, I'd welcome him to um, clear up that misunderstanding. I'm, I'm open, open to hearing his side. And if he if he didn't mean mean it in a demeaning way, then I, I'd like him to explain that. And but is the matter over if no apology materializes? Feminism's never over, is it? I mean, between burning our bras and you know fighting the patriarchy, unfortunately, women are on the receiving end of this kind of treatment quite often, and we'll continue to call it out and have discussions about it. Okay, Rebecca, Rebecca Chapman of the Scottish uh, Feminist Network, I want to thank you for your time and thanks for your input, Rebecca. We appreciate it. Um, Simon, I, I think we put it out there. I mean, I'm seeing some predictable responses uh, coming in, uh, some of which I think I, it's, I, I think it's, I think it's a ridiculous argument, Jim. I think it's a, you cannot be offended on behalf of other people. If Jane Lewis is the person that's involved in this conversation and she has been treated in the same fashion as any other journalist and somebody else takes offence on it, that is an indication of the society that we're living in. Women are finding their feet in men's sport now, men's football, mm. and they're being given equal opportunities, and sometimes I'm, I'm actually in the camp uh, that Joey Barton has been in, not fully down that rabbit hole with him, where some of these opportunities are being created simply because they're women. But this is a ridiculous argument. The fact is she distinguishes between someone saying good girl and good lad. I will take offence at someone being patronising. I think at the very worst, Brendan Rogers can be accused of being patronising. And again... Should Brendan apologise no, for being patronising? No, it's, it's, it's incumbent upon the journalists to be able to handle themselves. It's a, it's a difficult industry to be in. We had this debate yesterday, and interestingly, Jim, none of that debate centred on the fact that she was a woman. It's only when a feminist group pops up and decides that this should be something... That, and by the way, isn't calling somebody a dinosaur ageism? Mm. Or that, that, that irony escapes her, does Would it? Would you expect Brendan to well, I hope he pay lip service to it? Well, it depends, it depends. If he believes that he was being sexist, then he should apologise. He'll be if asked, it, no doubt. If he doesn't believe he's being sexist, then what in God's name should he be apologising for? And if he, is, if he is a constant user of these terminologies, these colloquialisms, these terms of endearment then I don't think he's got anything to apologise. And I think that particular individual should get over herself a little bit. Well, that's what Brian from Northern Ireland is saying. Listen to the chat there. Um, Brian in Northern Ireland. Yeah, a large percentage of us do talk like that. Um, but it's, it's, it might be a bit patronising, but it's far from sexist. It's not sexist in the slightest, uh, says Brian. Download, stand well back 
Listen, outspoken with White and Jordan from the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast from. We're back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.